Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, stress, and anxiety in simple terms. Uh, We're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show um, and write down the secret word of that show and then just email me just the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. Women diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood are more likely to have depression, be stressed, and have low self-esteem. It's recommended they talk to a professional to develop better life and stress management strategies. But here are some tips. Identify the sources of stress and make changes. Develop healthy self-care habits, such as getting adequate sleep, exercise, and good nutrition. To learn more about ADHD in women, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Yeah, the thing about content, sometimes it's perishable and other times it's evergreen. Evergreen means it's good then, it's good now. Uh, this particular show that we're airing is being released, uh, one that we had uh, were refreshing from years ago, um, talking about stress and anxiety in really simple terms uh, in a way to help those with the ADHD understand it and manage it. Um, so we're going to roll the tape. We hope you enjoy it. Blythe, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's wonderful to be here. I appreciate the it's invitation. A, it's a thrill to have you on. And one of the things that I always like about these shows is, is whenever we're going to talk about something like this, I always bring like really, really, really high-powered guests. I mean, you specialize in this field. You do a lot of research and stuff, and you're an expert in it. But we're going to get down to the basics today because I think that you probably well, – I know you can kind of help articulate some of these things and differentiate differences and stuff to kind of help those with ADHD understand what stress is and better management. And I guess to begin things, I'd like to ask you, what is stress? Like, like at, its, at its core, fundamentally, what is stress? And after defining that, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into more detail. But can you explain to us what effectively stress is? Sure thing. So we use this term all the time. Um, every day, many of us say, oh, I'm so stressed. We wake up in the morning, oh, it's going to be a stressful day. You know, it's in our common language. But what we're really talking about when we use it that way, we're really talking about daily hassles, you know, like everyday annoyances and frustrations and things like that. But when we use the word stress, what we really are talking about, if we want to define it, it's talking about an actual physiological, uh, biological response um, in our bodies. And we have a very complex system in our bodies that actually responds to uh, various serious threats, you know, to our person or to, shall we say, our psychological state. And so, like in my lab, we study stress more classically defined, and um, we measured a number of different ways that we can get into if you like. Sure. If you could just frame some of that out a little bit. Sure. So really stress is... um, like I said, the, it's a physiological response, and really the operative word there is response. It's a reaction to something, some kind of threat. And stress can be absolute. It can be a very real threat, a life and death situation, 
what can be relative or perceived threat. And really that's mostly what we study in my lab. And many times when we, in our culture today, when we talk about stress, we're really talking about perceived threat. So it has a psychological component to it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are four primary psychological components to this perceived threat. And um, the first one is novelty, when something is new. The second one is unpredictability. So when we're expecting one thing to happen, and much to our surprise or dismay, something else happens, so it's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Another factor that can contribute to stress is a lack of control, so uncontrollability. Mm-hmm. And the fourth and final one is um, social evaluative threat. So these four psychological factors really contribute to our primary perceived threats on a daily basis. So, so okay, so stress is a physiological response. Correct. And so, now, mm-hmm. so, so it's, 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 it's a physiological response to something, and we can respond. There's an absolute threat, which could be life-threatening, like, I don't know, go back in like a long time, you know, you're getting hunted down by, I don't know, a lion or something like that. It's kind of real. But then there's relative threat, which is perceived. It's almost like the simulation you run in your mind or your belief system is a result of some things that actually kind of creates the stress. It's almost like anticipation. Is that an accurate way of describing that? Yeah, and one of the things that you brought up that I think is really important is the same stress system, the response to very real threat, real danger, it is activated when we have perceived threat. And so from an evolutionary perspective, um, when we as a society, as a human species, were threatened by truly a lion or something else chasing us where it was truly life-threatening, this very same system was activated that we now, in our everyday world, when, say, we get fired from a job or um, something happens, we're we're predicting one kind of thing to happen, and it doesn't. Um, The same system that has a very strong and very powerful physical response, it's the same system. And that's one of the dangers of stress is you now have this cascade of biological response that takes place, but the danger is not as real. And one of the reasons that, you know, we often talk about stress has serious consequences for all of us, many different parts of our body, our brain, um, how we adapt, obviously our heart functioning, is because the system is being activated often in our society, you know, on a daily basis. And there's consequences to that. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Forgive me here, but this, it's, it's, when I think of absolute, the way you describe an absolute stress is it kind of hits some part of the brain that just kind of is, it's like the automated type thing. And I, all I can, I don't know why, but I, just the limbic system, like the emotion kind of kind of kicks in. Mm-hmm. Does that really play a part of this at all, or is there other parts of the brain that really does this? Well, there are other parts of the brain, but you're absolutely right about the limbic system, and in particular, a brain structure called the amygdala is really a very automatic, fast-responding part of our brains that is very involved in perceived threat. And it kind of, you know, you talk a lot in ADHD about, you know, you react <laughs> first and yep. think about it later. Well, yep. the amygdala is one of those kind of um, brain systems where, you know, it w- you will perceive something very rapidly. The amygdala would come online very quickly to um, react to a situation. But fortunately, we have other parts of our brain that have the potential anyway to kind of dampen that. So I'm sure talking about ADHD, you frequently refer to the front part of the brain, so mm-hmm. the prefrontal cortex. This part of the brain helps give us some insight. It helps us to be able to, you know, perceive the situation and go, oh, 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 you know, I thought it was going to turn out really badly, but wait a minute, I've been through this before, calm down, we can handle it. You know, that's the part of the brain that can allow us to kind of dampen the response. Um, Similarly, similarly, um, the hippocampus, which is really important in memory, another Mm -hmm. part of the brain that can either further activate the system by bringing online memories of a particular event that we've gone through, 
Or it can calm us down. It can say, wait, you know, we lived through this before. You know, yes, we had a breakup, but you know what? It turned out okay. I'm still standing. I can keep putting one foot in front of the other. So it's not just one part of the brain. It works in concert. Well, I I did an interview with Dr. Barkley a couple years ago Uh on emotion and uh, some other stuff. It was fascinating to me because his concept of ADHD is a self-regulation issue, not a Mm -hmm. a deficit of attention. It was fascinating to me in my work because in the context that he described it is that if it's a self-regulation issue, it there's a few things you need to regulate. Attention would be one of them, and emotion would be another. And since those interviews, in my coaching, I've, you know, it's, it's like attentional blindness. Now that I look for that, I see it, and, and I find that many with ADD come to me, and I'm coaching attention, but many times I find that I'm coaching them regulating their emotions. And if stress ignites the limbic system, and it's almost like this, Another thing he also describes is the, 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 the automatic brain. That's the, yeah. the most fundamental thing. It's, it's the reaction. Yeah, and then you have the executive functioning brain. So think of that as the prefrontal cortex. And the executive functioning brain is effortful. You have to engage it to, and exert effort to override that automatic brain in order to do it. And as, as you described a second ago, is you know we have these things, we have other systems that can kind of step in to do that. But to me, to really do that, if you have ADD, I guess what I'm saying, hang on, I'm, I'm talking out a little bit. On one sense, I'm bringing this up because those with ADHD, if there's a perceived stress and, in fact, emotion is a part of this, it seems to me that could be like throwing gasoline on the fire, number one. Yeah. Number two is another reason for the show is to bring awareness to it so you understand it in hopes that you can begin to pause and engage these other parts of the brain to override it. So with, I said a whole bunch of stuff. Can you kind of comment on that? Absolutely. I think you um, tied it in beautifully to Dr. Berkeley's work because, you know, this front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is very involved in executive functioning. Um, One of the reasons that um, it is, you know, approaches that utilize, for example, cognitive behavior therapy, um, engage this part of the brain. We learn to, yes, you know, we might have that automatic response, But if we can learn to recognize it early on and then quickly implement strategies that we've learned, you know, we may not be able to completely prevent that initial reaction, but we certainly can do a tremendous amount about how we subsequently respond, you know, to a given event. We're going to down-regulate the emotion associated with that as as a structural type thing. So, oh, there it goes. Here's what I do to bring it down. Absolutely which is a similar strategy that a lot of people employ in terms of attention and how to regulate the retention, but also um, you brought up the emotion regulation. And, you know, a lot of us, as we get older, and especially in terms of ADHD, you know, um, we are able to um, better learn some of these strategies, recognize, you know, things that trigger us to have this more kind of automatic and intense reaction to things. Subsequently, we also can um, learn strategies to be able to either avoid <laughs> those mm-hmm. circumstances yep. Yep. or if we are confronted with them, that we can p- pull out you know, tools out of our kit to be able to lessen the um, response on our, on our bodies but also on um, our environments, our relationships with others, and so on. Absolutely. Well, I need to run to a commercial break. When we come back, we, we, we listed the, the primary, the novelty, the unpredictability stuff. I want to get in that detail. But before we go, for those out there that are listening that want to learn more about Blythe or have some questions or whatever, and, and get your pencil and paper out because this website is a little bit complicated. But um, to learn more, go to http colon forward slash forward slash kc dot vanderbilt dot edu forward slash sense, S-E-N-S-E-L-A-B. Um, and with that, uh, before we go to break, um, can you just spend a second, because the, the SENSE program, that's S-E-N-S-E, that's a theater <laughs> program that we talked about, can you describe that a little bit so everybody understands what that is? Um, sure. Because I think that there's some real powerful type things that, that are, I, I, people need to be aware of it. So can you just describe it? Sure. Yeah, so SENSE 
um, theater is a novel intervention research program that incorporates classic behavioral strategies along with theater techniques. And one of the novel aspects of it is we utilize typical developing peer actors that are trained to work with our children with neurodevelopmental disorders. And together um, we work um, utilizing these different techniques and it culminates in the performance of a play. And I can tell you more about some of the findings we have including significant reductions in stress in the kids that we work with. I, I, those that are listening to that, I, I mean, I hear that. I, I'm gonna, if I heard that with a real skeptical eye, like, you know, you're using mm -hmm. theater for behavioral type stuff. If, if I'm like a lo very logical, I'm like, ah, no big deal. But I have to tell you, um, in Tampa about uh, 15 years ago, I used to be the chairman of the board of a local nonprofit, and one of the, our divisions was to help uh, – sexually abused kids that were on Medicaid, and it was funny because we used puppets, or not me, mm -hmm. but the staff used puppets as a means to help kids express and act out and kind of explain some things and to, to, to deal with those behavioral type things, and it was a very effective type form, and I know there's, it's not 100% a parallel, but many times if you have those getting in that and using those other forms, and, and, and I'm not going to word this very, deflecting itself can be very, very, um, very, very helpful. And I think that, that a lot of that's embedded in that program, which is, again, why I wanted to kind of highlight it. Um, sure. Yeah, we can so, talk more about it, too. We utilize expert models. That's one of the theories that we base this on, some of the work by Albert Bandura on that critical, um, um, how important it is to work with um, models that you respect. Yep. We also utilize a supportive environment. And there's other key aspects to it, which is why it's not just a recreational activity. Awesome. Um, again, we've got to run to a commercial break. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get into some more detail, but we'll be right back after these messages. Your secret word tonight is simple. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by gigcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. We are deconstructing stress and anxiety to understand it in a context so we can better manage it. And right now, uh, we're having a great conversation with Dr. Uh, Blythe Colbert. Um, before the break, we defined stress, daily hassles, and all that kind of stuff. And we talked, we're talking about perceived stress. And you defined primary perceived stuff as, as like novelty, unpredictability, lack of control, and social environmental threat. Social evaluative threat. So in other words, you know, a lot of the stress that we experience in the everyday life, it really comes down to relationships. And a lot of us, if we're going to feel threatened in some way, whether that's at work or our home life or in the community, if we're being evaluated in some way, or should I say we think we're being evaluated in some way, that can be a significant stressor for many of us. Uh, this is fascinating to me. Um, because this is in the, the domain of perceived threats. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Correct. So novelty is interesting to me because I can't help, when I look at that, I think of discrimination and say, you know, human beings, you know, I've seen them discriminate all kinds of, when I say novelty, I see something new and cool, but I also see difference. Correct. And when I start to think about some of the discrimination in our world and I think about stress and novelty and difference and the fact that it's a perceived threat, it seems to, and I don't know, I'm actually kind of thinking out loud, but is that part, is, is, is discrimination comes from somewhere. Is it like perceived threat of somebody who's different? Is am I? Well, it certainly can be. I mean, there are 
plenty of people that have attached, you know, discrimination and um, prejudice to this idea of fear. And it's something that we're not familiar with. It's something that we maybe can't identify with or we're afraid to identify with. Why? Because it's not like us, because it's different. And so in a certain context, and yes, I think there might be an appropriate connection there. So it's the perceived threat, because it's, it's, you know, it's, you're, you're conjuring it up because of mm-hmm. the difference and can lead to that. So uh, that, I've just had to say that, but in, in general, when you say other than what I said, novelty, can you describe mm-hmm. that a little bit? Of course, sure. When something is new um, to us, uh, again, some some people might look at an experience, getting a new job, going to school, moving, as being very exciting. And some of this comes down to individual differences, obviously. But many people don't like change and mm-hmm. anything new, or at least certain things that are new, novel to them, um, they might respond poorly to because they don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we all know people who really want a tremendous amount of control in their life and they want things not to change. And so if confronted with a situation where suddenly, you know, they have to come in to work at a different time, there's a detour on the road, um, suddenly there's a change in their social or work environment that's going to make them do things or operate differently, they don't respond well to that. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. that's what I mean by novelty. It's really kind of specific to um, the circumstance or to the individual. And unpredictability, that, that seems to be self-evident. There's a stress mm-hmm. when you, you, you can't, you don't know what to expect. You walk into a situation and you may or may not be prepared. Is that Absolutely. an accurate summation? Yes, I think that was an excellent summation. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, very good. And lack of control? Yeah, so lack of control, you know, this can extend to situations where you really do not have a voice in a situation. Uh, you're in a work environment and um, you're prevented from operating in a way that you think you're capable of. There are numerous situations in academic, in school, in personal situations where you might feel out of control. And in some situations, legitimately, you might be. (laughs) And, you know, we don't respond well to that. You know, we can even reduce it down to everyday situations like being in a traffic jam. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. And some people just roll with it, but other people respond very poorly in those kind of situations. And going back to what we talked about, it becomes a physical response, anxiety, anger, lashing out or whatever, because it's mm-hmm. just, they're reacting to that stress. Is that? Absolutely. And it's what you do with that and how you respond. While there might be that trigger and you might start to have a response, a lot of the interventions, a lot of the uh, approaches are, okay, you've got a response. Now what do you do with that, right? Yep. Yep. So, the, the last one is, is the, the social one. Talk mm-hmm. about, can you, a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, I sure can. So social evaluative threat, there are a number of different situations that we, we can all attest to in our lives where um, we are put in a situation where someone has power over us, where someone has some kind of evaluate, evaluative power over us. It can be in a work situation. There is a classic stress paradigm that we use in research, and it is known to trigger our primary stress system, which is known as the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal or HPA axis. We'll just say our primary stress system. And what this is is an interview. And that's kind of a classic paradigm for many of us where we feel we're being evaluated because, quite honestly, we are. <laughs> if we don't perform well, we're probably not going to get the job. Uh-huh. And there are many situations like that in life. But this particular paradigm that we use all the time in stress research is um, based in real life. That's how the researchers of it initially came up with the idea. Um, but it, it affects um, many of us. And we're put in a situation where somebody is going to be in a power position over us. And we feel that we can't do much about it. Interesting. So just thinking out loud, I know that um, many that I coach that have ADD, mm-hmm. um, as we say, we like to automate as much of their life so that they have structures in place that's mm-hmm. automatic and they can save up the energy that they have for 
executive functioning where they need it. And mm-hmm. many of them, you know, we kind of coach them on getting structures in their life to the point where they rely on it. And there's different things, we compensatory strategies and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like the first three, you go into a novel situation when you don't know what's going to happen and you don't have control and you don't have those systems that you know work for you can create an enormous amount of stress for somebody with mm-hmm. ADD. Because I know that hypothetically, and I, you know, it's kind of funny because I'm on this kick. I was coaching somebody recently who I discovered that they can manage time in a timeline because it's contextual, but a calendar doesn't work for them. And mm-hmm. it's funny because you go into an environment like they know a calendar works for them because their mind works for whatever reason, and they go into an environment and it's, they're not controlled and they're not be able to do that system. And for whatever reason, a calendar just doesn't click with them. It can create an enormous amount of physical and anticipatory anxiety right. because they don't know that they're going to be able to manage it in the way that works for them. And I can see that, A, there's that, as you described, the anticipatory, which is a certain amount of stress going into it of worry and whatever, which I'm not so sure really changes the outcome. And then when you get into that, the physical response, um, thoughts on that? I mean, I can see how that kind of happens sometimes, particularly if they're Transitions are hard for those with ADD, so change is a little bit difficult, but it seems to me in that type of situation, that anticipation can create an enormous amount of stress um, and reaction. Right. So I think um, approaching in a couple of different ways can help a lot of us. One is that you can role play. You know, you can, in role play situations, and you probably do this um, as an attention coach, mm-hmm. but you're confronted with a certain situation um, and although you might um, approach it in a very specific example, globally you learn how to um, evaluate the situation, you know, recognize, you know, what triggers, and also in the process be implementing different strategies, different things that work for you. So um, hypothetically you come into a situation where, okay, um, I was expecting to have an interview um, this afternoon at 2. They said, you know, I have to come back at 4, and now I'm interviewing with a different person that I never met before. How do I deal with that? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have, you know, a list of um, things that you do um, that you've already been taught to do, so, for example, you go back to your personal inventory. You remind yourself of the different mm-hmm. skill set that you have, yep. the successes that you've accomplished in the past. Um, you review um, the interview questions that you're going to Yep. ask the other person to kind of flip the tables and you go back to, I feel out of control. How do I gain control? Well, I'm also going to ask some questions. Yep. That makes me feel better because, remember, we're interviewing them also. And yep. so I think targeting from both the point of view of um, from an anticipation but also being reminded of adaptive, appropriate responses um, can be very helpful in a variety of different situations. The, the uh, last one I want to comment is the, the social evaluative threat, and that's the mm-hmm. power, and I, I, forgive me, I'm just going to jump to the end. To me, <laughs> you know, when you're being judged by somebody, that can create a lot of stress. Absolutely. Um, and there's that, the, I, you know, so many, the first thing I talk to about everybody is that you, I can't help you coaching forward unless you take the pressure off yourself because pressure inhibits performance, in my opinion. That's what the defense yeah. does in any sports is they, they put pressure on the offense because it inhibits it. And when you feel like you're being judged and you feel that pressure, the anticipatory stress of that can actually be debilitating to some people. Uh, and, oh, to many of us, yes. And um, the reason we're doing this show is if you pay attention to it, if you understand that I'm going to be evaluated and if I focus on the worry or something I can't do, that's actually, in my opinion, going to actually make the situation worse. Where if you focus on how can I not worry about this for the next couple hours when I get into it and just show that when I show up, at least can reduce the anticipatory stress leading into it. And as I, for many, that stress, the anxiety of the anticipatory actually paralyzes their ability to think. So the more you worry about it, the more it kind of inhibits your ability to perform when you need it. Um, right. One thing I wanted to mention, though, is the idea of, you know, a lot of us think that we don't want to be aroused at all. We don't want to be stressed at all. When actually a certain level of stress, arousal, if you want to reframe, <laughs> rephrase it, is actually a really good thing. And so what I mean by that is, Way back in the early 1900s, Yerkes and Dodson are uh, researchers um, talking about arousal. 
they said in order to really perform at an optimal level, you do need to be a little bit aroused. So a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress, it's a good thing. You know, many of us wouldn't be able to get on stage and, and perform. We wouldn't be able to, you know, get up in front of our coworkers at work. We wouldn't be able to do a lot of things that we were, if we were kind of flat. I mean, it would come across that way, right? And so I, I think one of the things – sorry? Go ahead. Finish, finish. And one of the things is to recognize the fact that um, to tolerate a little bit of stress and anxiety, but to keep it within a manageable level. I love interviewing you. This is great. You, it's like you set me up so good for my, what my transition was going to be. It's incredible. So, everybody, <laughs> first of all, last week I interviewed Dr. Ari Tuckman on, on uh, boredom and ADHD. And, and, and it was ah. kind of interesting because there's not a lot of research that's done on boredom. What we, what we found out is, you know, it's an attention-type issue. And one of the things that, of the issue is, is that I've had is when you're bored, you can't get anything done. And when those, long and short of it is, but I was having a conversation with him about motivation and arousal. And it was a huge aha for me in the moment that there's a difference between arousal and motivation. You've got to be aroused enough to do it. And if, you're, if you don't have the arousal, like in other words, if you're not, if you got, if you're a busy person, if you want something done, give it to a busy person because they're aroused to do it. Anyway, that being said is your notion of, of, of arousal here is interesting to me because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you next is good stress and bad stress. So I, I know, uh, for everybody who's listening to this, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not a brain scientist, and had I not been a, a scholarship athlete in college, I would, probably wouldn't have gotten into college. And I know that, to me, I always call there's good stress and bad stress. And I can remember specifically in 1983, I was at NCA's in Cleveland State, and I had put a lot of work, and there was a fair amount of stress in prelims. I was getting ready to swim the 100 backstroke, and there was this anxiety or stress, but it was this weird thing because I knew that I was ready. The question is, how well was I going to do? And I had some anxiety and some stress, maybe anxiety is another. The anticipatory of some of that stuff, and I think that that's kind of good stress, but I've also mm-hmm. been in a situation where I've had bosses that were expecting me, you know, to convert a bullet into a lot of cotton, which I just, I had no power of doing that. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's like this good stress and bad stress. And when you say arousal, just in this space of some stress is good, but there's a, a, a point where it's it's rough. Just I'm sharing my thoughts. Can can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, when your case and Dotson and others since then have really clarified some of this kind of model, but there is this optimal level. I mean, you you don't um, you don't want to go, shall we say, up and over the curve, where then you truly become, you know, quite anxious and stressed. And some people might even get into panic mode. But it is a certain level of exhilaration that is still manageable, that's still um, able to stay focused, and um, some of the coping strategies of keeping it at that level is through, you know, knowing clearly whatever it is that you need to accomplish, whether that is to throw the ball down the field or whether that's to present a key topic um, in front of an audience or it's to be on a radio show, (laughs) you know, whatever it happens to be, that you're able to be excited but also at the same time keep it in check and to allow yourself to be realistic about your expectations and also to have other strategies that we haven't really talked about which are more um, keeping the physical (laughs) in line. So, you know, things like deep breathing, things like some people choose meditative states. Some people, you know, write things down. Some people do self-talk. Each of us find, you know, these different ways or have a variety of them in our toolkit. But I think complementing our mental state or cognitive state along with some of these more physical strategies can also help to achieve that optimal arousal state. Awesome. That's brilliant. Everybody, I need to run to another commercial break. and you tee this up for me real again. I'll, I'll clue you in in a second, Blythe. You have to come back on because you're just a great guest. Um, for everybody out there that's listening, again, to learn more um, or contact or go to http colon forward slash forward slash kc.vanderbilt.edu forward slash sense, S-E-N-S-E-L-A-B. Uh, I think that's it. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your secret word tonight is simple. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. 
We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? <laughs> Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back. We've got a great conversation with Dr. Uh, Life Colbert on stress and anxiety. Before the break, we were talking. What's been interesting to me is we talked about the absolute and relative uh, stress a lot of our conversation has been focused on relative stress or the perceived stress, the anticipation. We kind of broke that stuff down, um, talked about good stress and arousal. Some of that is good performance, but there's this point where you kind of go over the top. Um, and before the break, you said something key, like that was keep it in check. And I, I can't help but share this story because for me, you can't manage anything unless you, you're aware of it. And... And there's a little bit of consciousness to, like, okay, this is kind of coming up, and what am I going to do? And, and when you said keep it in check, recently a very dear friend of mine passed away. Um, okay. I mean, a very dear friend of mine. And I had, I was asked to stand up and do part of the eulogy. And I'd never done anything like that before. And mm-hmm. it was very emotional for me for a variety of reasons. And I just remember sitting, I knew when my cue was in church, and I remember sitting I'm um, in the pew, my younger son was next to me, and I had an enormous amount of stress because I didn't know if I was going to be able to do this without breaking down. And, and, and mm-hmm. in anticipation of it, I actually had written out what I really wanted to say. I gave it to my 18-year-old son so he could do it. And he, was, he walked up on the side um, of where it was in advance because if I couldn't do it, then I wanted to be able to do it so he can kind of execute it. And I remember just sitting there just just how I manage it and, like, what am I doing trying to manage that stress? And one of it is, is my leg was just moving up and down, the movement, and my son was like, you know, he kept stopping me. I'm like, no, 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 you, you can't stop me. This is part of my coping mechanism. And I mm-hmm. just kept, like, trying to take a deep breath because my thoughts would wander to the emotion of my friend, and that wasn't helping the situation. And I know that I needed co- Cognitively, I was like, I need to direct my attention in a different way because if I let it float that direction, it was going to create more stress and have some stuff. And I just remember sitting there literally for five minutes because the person who was speaking before me went longer, employing this, take deep breaths, use the physical stuff to manage your stress and focus on something not related so that I could get up and deliver this thing. And it was funny because I really, I was, it was my turn. I'm walking up in front of like 300 people thinking I'm not going to be able to do this. And I got up and I took a deep breath and I was like cognitively saying, okay, you got, you got to focus your attention in another place in order to do this. And I literally, literally 15 seconds before I started to speak, didn't think I could do it. And I was able to pull it off. And it was it was a, a combination of these things to deal with that particular stress to keep, in my opinion, my emotions in check to deal with the stress. Now, what I've described is my experience and what I did is I was employing a few different techniques to kind of manage my attention, if you will, to mm-hmm. manage the stress. Can you comment on that? Does that make some sense? Uh, it makes a tremendous amount of sense because it sounds like, and first of all, I'm very sorry about your friend. Um, I'm sure you. you delivered a beautiful eulogy. And I have a feeling you did employ a number of different strategies in addition to doing the breathing and allowing that um, 
air to get into your lungs and literally work on some of the physiological response, I'm sure that helped a lot. But allowing your mind to get into a place where it was gaining control, and I'll bet you you made a conscious decision that you were going to focus instead on the evaluation about yourself, but somehow you made a conscious choice that it was really about your friend. I have a feeling. And, again, that was your focal point. So taking it outside of yourself and putting it on something else. And that is a really um, excellent strategy to be able to especially target that last part, which is the social evaluative threat. You might have been worrying about also at the same time how others are going to perceive you, especially if you break down and that sort of yep. thing. Exactly. Um, and by turning it around and placing the focus in the present, but really about your friends and the importance of the message, you know, you gain control, um, you turned it into something that you could say was predictable because you did know what you were going to say. And you also had a plan. You had a plan B, which is another great strategy. Like, what if I really do fall apart and I can't, you know, bring this back and I go up and over the curve? You know, you had your son as your plan B. So you put all these wonderful strategies in place in order to help. So it's not just one coping strategy that's going to help many of us. But it's kind of, again, we've got this toolkit and to be able to target it from a number of different vantage points. I'm glad you said And, Blythe, can you go a little bit longer than we expected? Sure, sure. Love to. Because there's a few things here is that one of the things that that I think is the key here is that the, the focus of today's show is really to understand trust, to deconstruct it. And when you get into manage it, and, the, and, and I, I literally did not – anticipate telling that story before I kind of got on, but mm-hmm. in reflecting back on it, if you're going to manage stress, you need to be kind of conscious of it, and it, it's, it's part of motion. You need to ha- in, employ part of your brain to kind of override that stuff, but I want to emphasize that from a coaching perspective is that just taking deep breaths, that might work for one person, but that doesn't work for everybody. Correct. And I... I was taking deep breaths. There was a little bit of self-talk, like, okay, no, 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 quit thinking about this. And we did we did a show with Deborah Burdick a while on self-talk. We, we alluded to it in our, our conversation with Dr. Berkeley. We've done uh, two shows on meditation, one with Greg Kretsch and one with Dr. Um, Mark Burton, talking about you know meditation, uh, awareness, contemplation, like how they're the same. To me, I also exercise as a way to manage a little bit of stress, to downregulate some of those emotions, and certainly the movement that I was having that wasn't like running down the road, but in a sense, I was employing all these things at the same time to cognitively adjust what I was focusing on or paying attention to as a way to manage it. And I was employing, because it was, was one of the most intense, stressful, emotional times that I have in life. And what works for me does not necessarily work for you or anybody else. And the real key to me as a coach is if you're going to manage stress is to identify those things that work for you. Like some people it might be a lot walk along the breach or, or thinking about a, you know, a nice happy place or, or whatever. But the key I think is to understand when you're stressed out, what do you do to downregulate that or to manage that stress? Now that's just my opinion. Uh, Blythe, can you can you share your thoughts and your experience in terms of research on that concept? Absolutely. There, you know, there's a lot of individual differences and variability in our stress causes can be stemming from everything from genetics to our life experiences to the circumstances of the hand that are in the present. But one of the things that can be a very good clue for us is to kind of again go back to the causes of the stress. And to keep in mind, you know, some of, if it is um, relative stress, to go back, you know, we can start with those four different factors. So, for example, um, if it's a lack of control, then to allow us to look into that and find ways to acquire more control in your life, in the circumstance, um, um, if nothing else, that sometimes may, may be to leave the situation, right? Mm-hmm. If it's novelty, maybe what you need is to gradually expose yourself to new things or recognize what you've already adapted to in life, um, to recognize that you are, as we've already talked about, going to feel some level of discomfort um, and allow yourself to gradually you know, feel that and then say, okay, I can handle this, I can expose myself to a little bit more, and so on. 
So going back to what the causes of the stress are in your life can be um, extremely um, valuable. Now, sometimes stress comes upon us that are so sudden and unexpected, you know, those are sometimes the most difficult to handle. You know, you, you like when you found out about your friend, for example, um, that is a very strong physiological and psychological response that very little can prepare you for. Mm-hmm. And um, having a stress response is appropriate, it's adaptive, and it's just going to take different types of coping and, quite honestly, time in order to fully adapt to those kind of stressors. But so um, individual differences are important to keep in mind, but also for most of us anyway, um, we need a repertoire. <laughs> we need yep. different different types of approaches. Some of them are going to be cognitive. Um, some of them are going to be physical. And one really important thing that we haven't touched on that much is social. Um, we've talked a lot about the social evaluative threat, but one of the best counter, um, counters to that is to have a really strong social support network, is to know that in other areas of our life um, that we have friends or we have family or we have colleagues that are going to provide a counterbalance to circumstances in which we clearly are being evaluated. And so I think that social piece in life is also a critical component. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was headed in that direction. And I think okay. that you're I, – I, I totally get that strong social support network, but th- this is just my opinion. And, and okay. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know anything about I'm, – I'm really good at asking questions. I'm not so sure my stuff is, but it's interesting to me because more and more I look at society and – Society, the re- the reality world of it is 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 the marketers want everybody to be the same, and they want to judge you on it. And so, at a macro level, that social evaluative threat is becoming one of the greatest stressors in our society today. And the detachment of of personal relationships and dealing. Yeah. The more you become digital, the more you're not really interacting with it. The more it's the perceived. You're perceiving how you're being perceived, so you're actually kind of judging yourself, if you will, mm-hmm. as it kind of replaces that stuff, which is escalating because so many people, I think, are 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 judging themselves according to this mythical person that exists mm-hmm. out in the world that the markers would like to believe you to be that is is unattainable. And from my just perspective, it's it's going to get worse, not better, and the ability to recognize it and to realize that, I mean, I don't, I don't think most people realize that reality TV, much of it is scripted. I mean, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is right. not like, it's not like live and impromptu. It's literally scripted and until you can back away and acknowledge that this isn't real. This is actually trying to play on my emotions to kind of get me and kind of gauge. Until you can do that and separate those two, it, your your perception reality and what you think is indistinguishable among your mind, so you have to actually cognitively do that. So forgive me for talking out loud, but the social evaluative component to me is a very stressful thing in our environment and likely to get worse. So correct me if I'm wrong, but can you comment on that? Yeah. um, Well, I don't want to predict the future, but there is um, a fair amount of research that's going on right now about how social media, how the Internet, how email, uh, how technology is actually – really impact, impacting us in some very negative ways in terms of our social structures. Um, the rate of loneliness um, is um, growing exponentially. There's some really fascinating work that's contributing to that. It's despite the fact that we're more connected via our technologies, many of us endorse higher and higher levels of loneliness and isolation because of that lack of true connectedness with others. And so I think you're tapping into something that um, not only warrants an awful lot of research, but clearly um, a more dialogue you know, about this um, concern that not only impacts ADHD but, um, and people that are stressed, but so many different areas of our social structure in life. That's fascinating, and I, I just have to, to throw this thing in. Um, you know, we're certainly a fan of Chad on Attention Talk Radio because we all have to come together and speak with a unified voice. And Ada 
and Chad are those organizations that do that. But I have to tell you, countless times we have, I mean, we start talking about the Chad conferences in like February, like you've got to do this. And I say that because when you go and you connect, if you have ADD and you go to these conferences, you connect with your tribe and you, 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 you kind of get that connection and stuff. And it's amazing to me. Um, you can see people's stress level just subside because of the social interaction and the connection that they're making with some of that stuff. And I know we're working on it right now. We shot some video of some people and their experience that we hope to put out on Tension Talk video in the in the in the near future. And it's it's if you have ADHD and you're 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 stressed from the perceived. Um, Judgment of people, which ended up becoming, at first you might think it's outside, it's externally. It's so funny. Go to these types of things. Hit these people, and it's amazing because I think it can really impact your stress level by being there because you're going to connect with other people that see the world the same way you do, and it just it just decreases your stress level for a weekend, six months, and kind of whatever. So I just I can't help but just kind of plug that. So, um, Blythe, before we wrap things up, any any other comments on stress that that's noteworthy that uh, that you'd like to share? I think the main thing that um, I really want to emphasize is that when we talk about stress, you know, we use the term and throw it around a lot, but it can be very, very serious. And if um, the stress in your life becomes um, extremely frequent, very intense, um, or it's chronic, it goes on for too long, um, and you are unable to implement some of these strategies that we talked about, you know, to really urge people to seek, you know, professional help um, through counseling, um, see your doctor, um, talk to you, Jeff, <laughs> um, because stress um, really can have a very serious impact on many different areas of our life. And so um, to do recognize it, and we all need to Im- employ a lot of these strategies to try to reduce it and live fuller and healthier lives. I I love what you said. I can't help because this show pays attention to attention. And when you have a lot of stress in your life, I will say one of the keys is is certainly I'm a coach and I work with people on stress, but I work with it in a certain way, but I'm not necessarily the solution for everybody's stress because sometimes there's a therapy therapeutic model that's, that can be very helpful. There can be coaching mm-hmm. models that can be helpful. There can be a variety of type stuff. So one of those things is don't just say I'm, I'm in acute level stress and jump into something. Think about what you're doing and, and work through your process to pay attention to what model really makes the most sense for your particular kind of stress. And I say that because so often everybody's just like, they just jump at something, this must be for me. But there's there's lots of different things that help in different ways. And uh, coaching is not a one-size-fits-all, nor is therapy, et cetera. Um, so I just want to emphasize that. So think about it. Pay attention to your stress before you actually figure out what solution makes the most sense for you because that's really the key. Um, with that, Blythe, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. We didn't script this, everybody. Uh, but you <laughs> did a great lead in. So it's not a reality again, show. <laughs> <laughs> again, for everybody, it's http colon forward slash forward slash kc dot vanderbilt dot edu forward slash s-e-n-s-e-l-a-b. Uh, again, Blythe, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jeff. Take care, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show and catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. 